Welcome back to AIR Informs and our podcast series about the different ways the coronavirus pandemic is affecting our lives and how we are handling the challenges it presents. Brought to you by the American Institutes for Research. I'm Dana Tofig. During this pandemic, the U.S. unemployment rate has reached levels that seemed almost unimaginable at the beginning of the year. The Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that more than 23 million Americans were out of work at the end of April, an unemployment rate over 14 percent. But a recent AIR report shows the jobless rate may actually be much higher than the official statistics show. On this episode, we'll dig deeper into those unemployment numbers and what they mean for a post-pandemic recovery. We'll also discuss what that recovery might look like and what lessons we can learn from the Great Recession that ran between 2007 and 2009. Our guest is Irma Perez Johnson, a vice president at AIR who is an expert in the design and implementation of rigorous evaluations of employment, adult training, and K-12 educational interventions. She has led studies on a diverse range of workforce topics, including job search assistance, occupational skills and vocational training, unemployment insurance, workforce shortages, and more. She joined us from her home in Northern Virginia. We are recording this interview shortly before the Department of Labor releases the May Unemployment Report, which is expected to show the continued impact of the coronavirus pandemic. But a report that you recently co-authored shows that the official unemployment figures don't really give the full picture of joblessness. What did your study find? The unemployment rate represents the number of people who are jobless, looking for a job and available for work as a percentage of the labor force, which are all of the people who are employed or unemployed. Our concern was that During the 2007-2009 recession, also known as the Great Recession, the unemployment rate more than doubled, but the share of people in the labor force remained relatively steady. So the unemployment rate was a relatively good measure of the proportion of the population who had lost jobs due to the Great Recession. During this period, the unemployment rate increased by five points from November of 2007, peaking at 10% in October 2009, when more than 15 million people were unemployed. Interestingly, during the recovery period following the Great Recession, as unemployment rates were falling, economists noted that much of the supposed improvement was due to people dropping out of the labor force, however, The labor force participation rate during that period, that is the share of the population working or looking for work, had held relatively steady between the early 90s until the Great Recession at about two thirds of the population, 66 to 67%. But after the Great Recession, the labor force participation rate dropped to 62% and in fact had stayed at that level until February of this year. This represents millions of people who dropped out of the labor force. So we wanted to know if and to what extent the COVID-19 pandemic had exacerbated this trend of folks dropping out of the labor force during economic downturns. As we explained in our brief, the official reports we have been hearing um, reported in the popular media about more than 23 to 24 million people 
being unemployed as of April of this year may seem shocking, we estimate that in fact, up to 8 million more people lost jobs or stopped looking for work between February and April of this year. So this represents a much more severe picture of the economic effect of COVID-19 on our workers. And it was also notable that the rate of undercounting was particularly high for young adults and for people with less education. Why do you think it's important to include those who have been undercounted as we plan for a post-pandemic recovery? I think this is a critical question in order to understand again the full impact of COVID-19 and its resulting recession and formulate appropriate policy responses to support the unemployed and vulnerable populations and pave a strong path for economic recovery. Many of the Americans who dropped out of the labor force after the Great Recession did so permanently, and the same could happen this time around. This would be of tremendous concern as it would exacerbate skill shortages and curtail our potential for economic recovery. Prior to the current pandemic, industry representatives were already complaining about notable skills gaps. That is, not being able to find sufficient numbers of workers with the skills that employers need, especially for livable wage, middle-skilled jobs that require some post-secondary education beyond high school, but not necessarily a four-year degree. Permanent departures from the labor force could seriously exacerbate these challenges. In addition, the workers most likely to be undercounted or drop out of the labor force include young adults, Hispanics, African Americans, and individuals with only a high school diploma or less than a bachelor's degree. Again, these individuals represent in some instances a growing share of the labor force, but more importantly, those groups that we absolutely need to participate fully and strongly in the labor force in order to have a strong economic future. You and I both live in the greater Washington, D.C. area, and we're seeing our community slowly reopen. But is it safe to assume that higher than normal unemployment will be with us for a while? This is a really important question, and it is hard to know exactly how the pathway out of the current recession will unfold. For example, it is unclear the extent to which stimulus measures passed by Congress, including the Families First Act and the CARES Act, will enable vulnerable businesses and workers to successfully weather the current crisis. But my guess would be yes, that higher than normal unemployment will be with us for a while. And this is becomes because some of the affected businesses and farms may not survive and their workers who currently may be expecting to return to their old jobs will in fact be permanently, permanently displaced. Here, too, what we observed during and after the Great Recession can serve as a guide. Just before the pandemic, in January, February of 2020, average unemployment duration, that is the the length of time that workers were typically unemployed, fluctuated between 21 and 22 weeks, or about two and a half months. Obviously, some people find work more quickly and others take a a bit longer to find a, a new job. But during the Great Recession, again, the most recent recession we had experienced until the current crisis, this measure increased steadily and peaked at more than 40 weeks. That that is more than 10 months, on average, again, for individuals who were unemployed during that period. And importantly, it took two to three years for this indicator to return to pre-recession levels. 
This is important because when people experience prolonged unemployment spells, which are typically defined as 27 weeks or longer, this causes serious hardship. People who are unemployed for a long time not only struggle with the loss of their income, but it also deteriorates their prospects for reemployment. So this is a really serious concern. Looking ahead, this economic recovery will be different because our economy is different than it has been in the past. What will be the challenges and maybe some of the opportunities for the recovery going forward? In my view, the path to recovery presents both challenges and really important opportunities for our country. In terms of challenges, obviously it would be critical for policymakers and those seeking to respond to the current crisis to get a good handle on the shifts that are happening right now in terms of employers and industry and help our institutions and workers pivot to better respond to those evolving needs. At the same time, industry has an important role to play in acknowledging the impacts on, of, on workers of the changes that inter, they introduce in their business practices and be more proactive in helping workers adjust to the rapidly changing nature of work and upscale and reskill as needed as their job requirements are changing. On the opportunity side, Stimulus responses present really important opportunities to address issues with our workforce development infrastructure, our social support systems, and even our physical infrastructure that have predated the current crisis. For example, through stimulus investments, the federal government may opt to invest in improvements in broadband, mass transport, fixing our roads and, and fixing our roads and bridges, which have been under discussion for a very long time. And this presents an opportunity to pair such investments with real skill building for workers that will help them not only access these livable wage jobs, but also in the process become more future ready and be better able to access the types of jobs that will be available moving forward. We can also consider encouraging those receiving unemployment insurance benefits to invest in upgrading or uh, updating their skills if that is what they need uh, in order to better access available jobs. But skill building generally is not, um, is not an, allowable activities, an allowable activity within the UI system. Similarly, we should promote programs and strategies that allow our workers to gain skills in the areas that they need while earning income and also gaining valuable experience. That is earn and learn opportunities, you know, so that will most efficiently help people make a living while, again, upgrading their skills. And last, as we formulate responses to the current economic crisis, I think it will be really important to look for opportunities to sponsor close partnerships among our workforce and economic development agencies, our educational institutions, especially at the post-secondary level, and business and industry to promote responses that align systems and strengthen the education to workforce pipeline overall. What aspects of the workforce and labor market do you expect will be changed long-term or maybe even permanently as a result of the pandemic? I think this is a great question. In my view, there are three trends that, again, predated the current pandemic crisis that could be accelerated and change our economy more permanently. First, I would expect a broader and more permanent shift to telework. The current pandemic 
in my view, has demonstrated the, limit, the limits of the context and situations in which we can use telework. It has been a great experiment of sorts. Now, businesses, service organizations, the government can move more confidently in a direction that integrates telework into their normal operations, knowing that it is workable. Our current experiences, however, are also like, likely surfacing the biggest challenges in doing this effectively, but in doing so also paint the path forward for how to address those challenges. That is, they highlight the areas where we need to improve in order to telework efficiently and effectively. A second trend that may accelerate is a shift to virtual teaching and learning. We have seen many of our schools and post-secondary institutions shift primarily to a virtual learning environment. Here too, I would not expect how we're, doing, how we're going about conducting these activities to be the ideal model, but I think there will be a lot of learning as a result of our current experiences. And, um, and again, you know, sort of identifying opportunities and important challenges that need to be addressed. Importantly, in these two areas, I think there will be a real motivation to more fully embrace these alternative ways of learning and working as a way of building resiliency into our economic and social systems. We don't know when the next pandemic or other crisis will happen that will necessitate our relying on these more virtual collaboration and uh, learning models or platforms more intensely once again. But I expect that to be a very serious consideration moving forward. The last trend I would highlight um, and expect to accelerate and strengthen as a result of the pandemic is both the emergence of new occupations and the demise of others. We have certainly seen this under the current pandemic, for example, with the case of contact, contact tracers, an occupation that we had never envisioned before. At the other end of the spectrum, I think we'll see increased automation of tasks, especially those performed by vulnerable or frontline workers, for example, cashiers and meat processing. I think there will be a real incentive to, again, you know, sort of minimize the number of workers that perhaps need to perform those functions. And also because of this more rapid pace of change in occupations and work settings, I also think that we will see a growing interest in better understanding the overlap or interrelatedness among various occupations so that we can promote a workforce that can more nimbly and quickly adapt to shifts in demand, um, like the current pandemic and uh, the, the case of respiratory therapists um, right now. Um, so that we can more easily deploy our workforce and, you know, sort of and, uh, and respond to spikes in demand or changes in, in the need for particular types of workers. You can learn more about Irma and her work in the show notes on our website, www.air.org. There you can also download the brief that Irma and her colleagues authored on the unemployment rate and see some of the data that we discussed regarding the recovery from the Great Recession. You can also learn more about AIR's workforce development practice and see links to some of the work done by our new partners at Impact International. Thanks for listening to this episode of AIR Informs. And remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. And while you're there, leave a comment or a review. We would love to hear from you.
Until next time, please be safe and take care.